Have you ever tried to solve a problem? You ever tried to solve a problem and no matter how much you tried to solve it, you couldn't seem to resolve it, to fix it? Maybe you like working on cars and you're like, okay, there's a problem here. I got to figure this out. How do I figure it out? And you keep going and going and going. Maybe you have something going on with the electrical at your home and you can't figure out why this is working, why this isn't working. We had a lot of technical difficulties today and we spent a long time this morning trying to figure them out. And then even in the midst of the service, everything went blank and, and you just have all these problems you're trying to solve. I've actually had major back problems for years and years and years, since I was in my 20s, even had back surgery, and I have tried to solve the issue. My problem is that I don't actually know what's wrong. And so, as a result, I have spent countless hours trying to fix my problems, trying to figure out, hey, maybe this will be the solution to fix my problem. So on this table right here is what's involved in basically my daily slash weekly routine in, a, in an attempt to fix my problems. Because someone came along and said, hey, Chris, I have the key to solve your problem. You need to foam roll every single day. You need to roll out your back and roll out your hips. So literally every day I get on this rumble roller with the little knobbies and I, and I roll out and try to hope that I'll loosen up my hips and my lower back and the muscles and all that kind of stuff. So I do this. Someone came along and said, well, it's not really working. They said, well, there's another solution. Uh, you need to really get deep into those muscles and do some myofascial release and all that. They said, take a tennis ball and go in there and grind on that hip and grind on that rear. And if you've ever done this, this results in one thing and one thing only. Please. Tears. <laughs> yes, the pain results in the tears. And so I've tried that. Someone came along and said, Chris, you need to do yoga. And so for two years, a couple times a week, I did yoga. All the poses. Let me show you my fit now. What I do do, on a, so I do that all the time. What I also do is uh, every day, every morning, actually, I wake up and I plug in my heating blanket, heating element, and I sit in a chair, do my quiet time, and warm up my back. Every single morning I do that. Then I also get up every single morning because someone said, came along and said, hey, you need to like, you know, massage your back in the morning. That'll fix your problems. So they grab this thing, and I am kind of hurting this morning, so I'm going to preach with this the rest of the morning. And so uh, I use this on my low back and just try to release and loosen those muscles up and help me with that. Then someone came along and said, well, Chris, Costco's selling this really cool thing right now. And if Costco sells it, it's going to be a good deal. And it even says med on it. And it has that special med symbol. So this is like, you know, real doctors use this. And so I bought this. And I use this two, three, four times a week. Miss, somebody in our church who moved up to uh, Reno area, she was like, the key is blue emu. And so, because I, I kind of had a chronic flare-up, or I had a flare-up last year around October, so the last year's been really bad. So since October, I have been using, and, and then I realized, hey, isn't there a commercial with football players that use blue emu? And I was like, well, if they use it, so every single morning I put on the blue emu. I ice almost every single day. Almost every day, some days, multiple times, come into the office, put it in the freezer, take it home. Someone came along and said, well, Chris, you got to loosen all those muscles up because all the muscles. And so you got to roll out your legs and roll out back here and do all this. And so I use this about two times a week. Of course, there's old faithful ibuprofen. <laughs> and so for the last year, I have taken way too many milligrams every single day to which some of you know, like, okay, Chris, there goes your what? 
there goes your stomach, your kidneys, something, you're going to start bleeding, something's going to happen, and I know, and I know, but I pop them every morning, afternoon, and evening. This is my routine every week, every day, because I'm trying to solve my problem. But the problem is, I don't even know what the problem is. I don't know exactly what it is. Would you agree with this? It's impossible to solve a problem when you don't know what's wrong with to begin with. Would you agree with that? This week, I, I, I go to chiropractor on a regular basis. Someone said, you know, do acupuncture. So this last year, I've tried acupuncture a bunch. Go to massage therapy. Do deep tissue massage. I've been spending countless hours and time and money this week, so, or this last year. Somebody said, oh, hey, there's this new place called cryo something, cryo me. 240 degrees, go into negative, negative 240 degrees, go stand in that. So I tried that and got my body, stood in this thing, 240 degrees, and, and I walked out and go, well, that was a waste of money. <laughs> I've tried everything. Someone said, well, have you tried Western medicine? I said, oh, that's a good idea. So I called the doctor this week, so I am going to go back <laughs> to the doctor. I already know what they're going to tell me. Do all this. It's impossible to solve a problem when you don't know what's wrong to begin with. Now, here's the deal. We're not just talking about backs and, and technical difficulties. and We're talking about our own lives. Many of you have been trying to solve you for a long time. And you, too, have spent countless hours and countless dollars solving you. Some of you, your spouse encouraged you to go fix you. Otherwise, they've said, fix you or I'm out of here. The reality is some of you have <laughs> lost a job or jobs because you haven't been able to solve that something in you. Some of you have lost a marriage or marriages because you haven't been able to solve something about you. Some of you have lost money like me, lots of sleep, lots of time. Some of you have lost your self-esteem. Some of you have lost your reputation. Maybe you've lost a relationship with a child or a parent or, or with a friend, because there's something about you, and you know it needs to be solved. It needs to be solved, but you can't solve it. Maybe the reason you can't solve it is because you don't know what's wrong. In other words, the problem may be that you don't know what the problem may be, and that's where some of us are. And even, by the way, even if you do know what the problem is, that's not the same as having a solution, is it? So what we're going to do in this new series, Solving Me, is we are going to look at what the Apostle Paul says, his explanation as to what's wrong with us. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you may not like his diagnosis. Okay, you might not like his diagnosis, but since you haven't been able to make progress solving you in your way, maybe we be open to his perspective a different perspective, a different point of view. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what's wrong with you. How's that sound? I'm going to look at what's wrong with me. Because we actually have an unknown problem. In my mind, my problem is my back. Something tells me it's more complicated than that. We have an unknown problem. It's more complicated than we think on the surface. And then what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to look at Paul's solution to what's wrong with us. And so to kick it off, get us all on the same page, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7. 
Romans chapter 7, we're going to look at a couple verses and then we're going to go back to Romans 5. You will need to see this with your own eyeballs. Romans 7. And we're going to look at how the Apostle Paul describes himself, his life, before he discovers the solution that we're going to talk about for the next couple weeks. And even if you don't like his explanation about how to solve you, I think these verses, you'll understand this, and I think we'll all relate to what he describes here. Romans chapter 7, let's look at it, verse 15. Paul says this about himself. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I actually agree that the law is good. Now, when he talks about the law, he's talking about that law, that thing inside of you, that guides you. You don't even have to be religious. You have this guide, this law inside of you. You have a sense of, this is what I want to do. This is, you know, what I ought to do. And sometimes Paul says, I just don't do it. And if I did it, I know I'd be better off. I know I'd be healthier. I know I'd be a better, you know, spouse or parent or friend or employee. Here's what I want to do, but there's like this other part of me, this other side of me, almost another person that I don't do what I want to do. In fact, he even says, I do what I hate to do. Verse 18 kind of keeps going on this train of thought. He says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Can you relate to that? You understand what he's talking about? I absolutely do. Because here's what we all have in common. There are things you wish you could quit doing. And it's like, man, I just can't stop. I want to quit this. I want to stop it, but I can't. It's like there's some sort of power over us. Otherwise, you would just quit doing it, right? I mean, there's things you're doing that you wish you could quit doing. I mean, like, there's this power over you, like, why don't you just quit losing your temper? Why don't you just quit, you know, being dishonest or quit lying? Why don't you just quit eating so much? Why do you just, why don't you quit being, you know, unfaithful or untruthful? Why don't you just forgive and move on? Why don't you just stop doing that or looking at that stuff that you know you shouldn't do? Why don't you just stop, you know, drinking as much as you do or going to excess with this or that? The things we have in our life that we wish we would quit. Then Paul says there are things you need to start doing. Paul says, I have a desire to do what is good. In my heart of hearts, I know I need to make these changes, but it's like I just can't get started. Let me ask you a question. Are there some things in your life that you really know you should be doing right now? Raise your hand. If there's some things in your life, you're like, I know there's some things I should be doing, right? But you're like, you look at yourself and you're like, why can't I just not get started? I know I, I want to do this. I should do this. I ought to do this. Whatever the case may be. You're like, I just can't get started. That's what Paul's talking about. So the Apostle Paul says, perhaps the problem is you don't know what the problem is to begin with. And Paul's going to say, I want to I tell you about the problem and what it is, and then I'm going to offer you a solution. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, what we're talking about this morning is pretty difficult to understand. What we're talking about today is actually complicated. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's a little bit confusing. And it doesn't get talked about a lot because it is complicated, because it is confusing. And I think just the reality today is we kind of have short attention spans. 
more so than ever. And so pastors and teachers and, and people just kind of glance over this and say, ah, you know, people don't, can't handle this, won't understand it, won't grasp it. But here's the deal. This is so important for us. If we're going to solve ourselves, if I'm going to solve me, if you're going to solve you, what we're talking about will literally fundamentally change your life. I mean, wouldn't it be incredible, the things you think about if you could solve you, wouldn't it be incredible if you could finally solve you? Wouldn't it be incredible if you finally got to the place where you say, ah, this is done, this is over with, it's been solved. So my hope and my prayer is that you, man, you'll hang with me today and hang with what God wants to show us. So with that in mind, let's dive in. Flip back to Romans chapter 5. Go back a page or two. We're going to jump into Paul's conversation he's having here, and he's going to share with us, and I'm going to try to go slow and walk us through this. Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 6, and and Paul's going to start talking about our problem. This is his explanation. You might not agree with it, but our explanation isn't working. We haven't been able to solve ourselves. He says, verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when you were powerless, like, right, you couldn't do what you want to do, and what you don't want to do, you do. When you were powerless, Christ died for who? Christ died for the? The ungodly. In order to understand the problem that we're dealing with, and to understand what the solution we have, we have to acknowledge the reality And Paul says this, even though I haven't met you yet, here's what I know about you. He says, you're ungodly. You're ungodly. You're unlike God. You are not like God. You're ungodly. In fact, let's just do this. I want you to turn to someone around you that you didn't come with. I want you to turn to someone you didn't come with. Just look at them and say, you're ungodly. I want everybody to do this. (laughs) Say, you're ungodly. (laughs) You got to do it. Lift up your head. Some of you I see, you're burying your heads down. Turn to someone. You're ungodly. This is important. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. If you haven't told someone they're ungodly yet, do it now. Okay. Here's why this is important. Paul's letting us know, every single person in here, level playing field. You tracking with me? It's a level playing field. We are all ungodly. We are all unlike God. And what does the Bible say? What does Paul say that Jesus did for ungodly people? Look at chapter 5, verse 6. It goes on and it says that Christ did what? Christ died for the ungodly. We're all on level playing field. And Jesus says, "I, I died for all of us ungodly people. And then he goes on and he adds another word to kind of bring us into, like, this is our reality, verse 8. And he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This is, here's God's image of love. This is God's, here's how incredible God's love is. It says this, while, he adds a new word, while we were still what? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's like, it occurred to me. I mean, this is like Christ died while we were sinners, while we were sinning. Paul's like, I I, want to think about this. Man, when when Jesus was being nailed to a cross, at the very moment I was off sinning, at the very moment while I was sinning, while I was a sinner, while I was ungodly, Jesus was on a cross dying for me. I mean, who would do that? It's an incredible, unusual kind of love. 
So Paul says, let me explain this to you. Let me set the stage for you so you can understand that we're ungodly, that we're sinners. And then what the Apostle Paul is going to do now is he's going to pivot. And now what he's going to do is he is going to take you and I into some of the most complex, some of the deepest, some of the most significant teaching in all of the New Testament. And I'm not saying that lightly. This is some of the deepest, most complex, richest teaching in all of Scripture. So let's see what he says and see if we can kind of slowly get through this together so that it'll make sense. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So we set the stage, we're ungodly, we're sinners. Jesus died for those who are ungodly and unsinners. And now he's going to kind of talk about kind of the deeper truth of this. And this is critical for where we're headed in the next few weeks. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through how many people? Through one man and death through sin. In other words, death comes right on the heels of sin. He says this, I want you to think of sin as a noun and not just a verb. I want you to think of sin as a thing. I want you to think of sin that a long time ago, that something wasn't there, sin wasn't there, and then sin entered the world through how many people? Through one man. This this thing, this power, this disease, this noun, this sin entered the world, meaning it didn't exist, and now all of a sudden it exists. It came into the world. Well, Paul, how did sin enter the world? What did he say in verse 12? We've already said it. Came through one man. He's talking about the person that, who do we know? Who's he talking about? Anybody know? Adam, right? He's talking about Adam. If you know the Old Testament, you know the Genesis story. That when Adam disobeyed God, he sinned. And this sin noun entered the world like a disease. So important for us to understand as we talk about this, this next couple weeks, that there is this thing, and Paul's describing sin as not just an activity that we do, not just as a verb, but it's something that results in sin. You could say there is a sin that results in you and I sinning. Now, one of the reasons that me and you that we haven't been able to change is because we've addressed the thing that we've done wrong as simply verbs, the sinning, rather than dealing with sin as a noun. Hang with me, I know, like I said, it's deep, it's complex, hang with me. We've tried to address our issues just thinking about the things we do. Hey, I got a problem, I gotta solve it. Hey, I got back issues, I'm just gonna try this, and I'm gonna try this, and I'm gonna try this. That's what we've done, we've tried to address it by doing things, and he says, listen, you've never addressed sin as a noun. That's an interesting thought, Paul. Please tell me more. I don't fully track with you. And so he's going to take us a little further in this. And he goes on. Because you understand what he's talking about. This sin, this thing, this virus, this disease, whatever you want to call it. It entered the world through one man. And then Paul said, death came through that sin. You can relate to it. Because you have or have had a really bad habit right? You have had or really have had or have an addiction, and you've seen death that follows your sin. 
Maybe you've killed a relationship in your life. Maybe you've killed your finances. They're not where they, you know God wants them to be where, where they should be in your life. I'm, I'm facilitating a Financial Peace University course right now with people in our church, 25, 30 people, age 17 through 35, not counting mortgage jet debt, just like school loan debt and credit cards and all that kind of stuff. 25, 30 people, ages 17 through 35, they have $475,000 of debt. And man, you extrapolate that across our whole church. I wonder how much debt's in this church. We've killed our finances. Our choices have resulted in death. We understand that. Maybe you've killed a career. You've killed your health. You've killed that relationship with a parent or a child or a friend because of that sin. So, Adam sinned. Adam sinned. Sin entered the world as a thing, as a noun, as a disease, as a sickness, and as a result of that sin, right on the heels of that sin, came death. Now he goes on, notice what he says. Verse 12, and Romans chapter five, and in this way, death came to how many people? Death came to? To all people, because all sinned. This is very fascinating what he's saying to which you and I, we kind of just say, you know what, okay, so I will die because, you know, I, in my life, I eventually sin. That's actually not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about here, he's saying, once upon a time, there was this one man named Adam. And this one man named Adam sinned, sin entered into the world as death. He was the first man. And Paul's saying there is this sense that you and I are all in Adam. Each and every one of us here are in Adam. Everybody was in sin. Every one of us. That includes, for example, that includes me. I'm, the Bible says, I'm in Adam. I'm in sin. That includes my three kids in Adam. That includes Billy Graham. Billy Graham, are you in Adam? Yes, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, my lovely in-laws in Adam, my beautiful wife. I'll put her aside. (laughs) But everybody else. We, yes. We are in Adam. Your problem, and again, this is Paul's explanation, your problem isn't your sinning verb. Your problem is you were born in sin, in Adam. And the reason you were born in sin in Adam is not because of what you did, but because of who you're related to because of who you're related to, to which anybody here, if you're tracking with me, you just think, that is so unfair. I mean, that's nuts. I totally agree. It is not fair at all. But what we have to understand is (coughs) fairness ended all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam because of his sin. Nothing has been fair since the Garden of Eden. And so you and I, we've been living in a not fair world our entire lives, 
For thousands upon thousands of years since Adam's sin, we have lived in a not fair world. You see not fair all around you, don't you? You watch the news and you hear about some incredible family that all of a sudden, somehow, some way, tragically is killed. You hear about little innocent children being killed. You hear about disease happening to people, sickness, criminals get off. You can go on and on and on. Life isn't fair. Why? Because fairness ended back in the Garden of Eden. And Paul says whether you think it's true or not, whether you think it's fair or not, Paul's like, it's true. You may not think it's fair, but it's true. Adam's sin and Sin, it literally infected the entire world so that me and you and your friends and people you know, we are all in Adam. And the reason no one has to teach you to sin is because it comes naturally to you because we are in Adam. We were, this is the, theolog- the deep theological truth, we were born into sin. No one has to teach us to sin. And then what Paul does, he's going to draw a sharp contrast. And he's going to get a little more complicated than we're already talking, so I hope you can hang with me. (coughs) Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 15. Here he goes. And let's say this word together. He says this, but the what? But the? But the? The gift is not like the trespass. He hasn't used that word gift yet. And he says, the gift, and we're going to talk about it in a second, the gift is not like the trespass. The trespass was when Adam disobeyed God, he sinned. That was his trespass, which then affected and impacted the entire human race. And so he says, the gift is the gift that's not like a trespass. And he's going to explain to us what the gift is. And I'm just going to tell you up front, the gift is actually right standing with God. The gift is is having God's righteousness upon us. The gift is justification, that we are justified, that we are no longer caught up in our sins, which means God looks at you. God looks at me and says, I see someone who is completely forgiven, just as if you've never sinned before, that you had no sin to begin with. It's a gift It's something God gives us. It's not something that we do. It's not something we earn. It's not something we have to achieve. Notice, verse 15, the gift is not like the trespass. And I already told you the trespass is Adam's one act. Now here's where it gets rich. For if the, what does it say? Uh, For if, what's the word? For if the Many. many, that's us, if the many died By the trespass of one man, the one sin of Adam, we all died. We're now in Adam, in his sin. How much more, and this is so powerful, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the? Many. How much more? How much more? This is so rich, so incredible. I hope you're catching it. That just like you and I, we were born into Adam. And Paul says you were born into Adam. But when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you became a Christ follower, a Jesus follower, he gave you a gift. And the gift is you are taken out of Adam and you are placed into Christ. Those of you who understand theology or have studied this over the years, you've heard the terms in Adam or in Christ. That term in Christ is one of the deepest truths of all of human history. You are taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. 
That is the, the gift. The gift who the Bible said is available to how many? Oh, available to? Many, to all, to many. Sorry, that, that was set you up for failure on that one. <laughs> it's available to many. And when you said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you received the gift, accepted the gift, you're taken out of Adam, placed in to Jesus, into Christ. It's one of the deepest truths of all of Scripture. One of the most important things I hope that you hear this morning. Paul tells each and every one of us this morning, he says, the gift of right standing with God, he said in this passage, is more powerful than the power that came with being born in Adam. They're not equal. The gift that comes through being placed into Christ is more powerful than when we were in Adam. The gift of being placed in Christ is more powerful than you and I being in Adam. He says it this way. Look at Romans 5, verse 15, one more time. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many, Notice how he says it, verse 16. Nor can the gift be compared with the result of one man's sin. He's like, this is so much better than this. He can't even compare the two. Let me just continue real quick as we try to wrap this up and take it home this morning. He says, verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man, that's Adam. Now you're going to understand this verse because we've been talking about it. If by the trespass of sin of one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, verse 17, how much more will those who receive, look at this, who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, how much more? He's gonna define what he means by the gift. How much more will we, look at the words, will we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How much more will we, let's, let's say each of these words, first, the first word, how much more will we, what, starts with an R, how much more will we? Reign. Notice what it says, in life. I want to say that, those two words together. One, two, three. In life. One more time. In life. One more time. In life. How much more will we reign in life, church? This conversation isn't about, hey, I'm in Jesus, and so it's about when I go to heaven, and now I'm in Christ and in heaven. That's, that's other discussions, other places in the Bible. Paul's addressing this thing right now. He's talking about those things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I hate to do. I find myself doing all that all the time, and I hate this about me. Paul's like, I'm addressing that. And when we come to understand this and start here and know what our problem is, because me, I don't know what my problem is, but I just think it's in my back, and so I'm trying this, this, and this. You and I are trying this, this, and this to try to be a better, be a better Christian, be a better Jesus follower. We're trying all these things. Paul says, time out. You don't understand. We've been taken out of this, and that power of that is weak compared to the power of being in Christ. And it gives you and I, how much more will you and I reign in Jesus Christ, in this life. If Adam can mess it up, imagine how much Jesus could fix it up, how Jesus could fix you and I up. Imagine living in such a way that Jesus overpowers your life and supersedes what happened to us back in the garden and where now you and I can reign in life. 
So here's what he's saying. If your approach, if my approach to the Christian life is God, thank you for saving me, for forgiving me, for taking me out of Adam, placing me in Christ. God, I thank you for that gift, and I'm gonna try my very best to do what Jesus wants me to do. Paul says, good luck. I've tried it, Romans 7. I'm gonna try my very best to live a life that honors Jesus Christ. Paul says, good luck. Let's just be real for a second. How often have you prayed that prayer? I know I have. Jesus, I wanna, you died for me, I wanna live for you, and I wanna honor you, and I wanna, I wanna you know, do my best, I wanna, I wanna give you my whole life, and I wanna surrender to you. We pray that all the time. It's so deep in us, this whole, but we're doing the in Adam thing. We're trying to act as if we're still in Adam, and Paul says, well, you know what? I'm apostle, super apostle. I'm an amazing dude. He doesn't say that, but he is. He's an amazing guy. He says, but I still don't do what I want to do, and what I don't want to do, I do. So he's like, good luck if you want to go that route. So Paul says to you and I, to the Romans, he says, I have some great news. There's a fundamental change of who you are. And the verses and the chapters that follow, Paul says, I want to teach you how you get to finally live out of this container rather than keep trying to live out of this container. Jesus placed us in this container. Why not live out of it? Why go back to this? Why go there? Why keep living your life that way? I would suspect the majority of us, this is what we do. We're trying to like work our way out of here. No, 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 we're already there. So I want to invite you these next few weeks. It's not about being a better version of the person you were born into. Didn't work for Paul, it doesn't work for you. It's about reigning. Where? Reigning in? Say it again, reigning in? That's what this conversation's about. This isn't just eternity. Paul talks about that all throughout scriptures. This conversation is reigning in where? In? I didn't know. <coughs> you didn't know. Our problem was unknown. And so that's where we're going to go the next couple of weeks. Reigning in life. Reigning in life. This will change your life forever if you can come back and you can grasp what Jesus is trying to share with us. So no longer are you and I going to be the people trying to figure it out, solve our problems, do it our way. We're going to reign in life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.